gospel. So I'm going to read beginning in Romans, a letter from the Apostle Paul to the ancient church in Rome, chapter 8, beginning in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we also may be glorified with him. Now moving to Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, a a parallel passage. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray together and uh, ask God to bless us as we think together about this part of the Bible. Please pray with me. Father, we come before you now and um, confess both our need of you because of our humanity, but also because of our sinfulness and rebellion. Lord, we tend to not listen to you, but to listen to ourselves. We tend to run from you rather than run to you. We tend to trust our own instincts and our own man-made laws and our own gut feelings rather than to trust you at your word. And we ask tonight, God, that you would speak to us truth, that you would speak to us the beautiful good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that we would believe it and that our lives would be transformed by it. We pray tonight, Father, for those here who are coming out of a week that's been difficult, where they've felt discouraged, depressed, saddened, and lonely. We pray that you would uplift their countenance and make their hearts glad. We pray for those tonight, Father, who come doubting, who come skeptical, who come jaded and cynical about Christianity and especially about the church. We pray, Father, tonight that you would comfort, convict, and transform. Father, we pray tonight for those who are suffering, who are undergoing um, perils of physical illness, who are looking death straight in the eye, who are feeling ill, who aren't sure what's going on, but they just aren't themselves. Lord, we ask tonight that you would be the healer, that the message of salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ would come and be a balm, that it would quench us where we are burnt and hurting, that it would help us where we are in need. God, tonight we ask that you would conform us into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ himself, and to remind us of what is true, that you, through faith in Jesus, are our Father and you love us. Help us to believe that. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. A recent uh, survey done by the Census Bureau and confirmed by other independent reports says that approximately one in three Children growing up in America right now are growing up without a father in their home. In urban centers, especially among the poor and the immigrant population, that number jumps all the way in some instances to 75 to 80% of people in those situations are growing up without a father, growing up not knowing a dad 
something about, um, something about that makes me grieve. I hope it makes you grieve as well. Absentee fathers perhaps is the number one influence in so much of what's wrong in our modern society. Uh, other studies have shown that it's the most significant contributing factor to things like mental health, to things like the degree of education that the child will one day attain, to things like whether or not they're going to be fit in the American labor force, to things like whether they're going to be able to one day form their own family that's going to be stable and that's going to flourish. The problem of dads not being around is without question one of the primary problems in our culture. Thankfully, Christianity teaches us if it teaches us anything, that we do not have in God an absentee father. In fact, the power of the gospel is found in just that message. Those of us who bereave our own absent fathers and those of us who bereave the cultural malaise that is caused by that problem all around the world today can be comforted by the truth that the gospel tells us, the good news of Christianity tells us that God is our loving Father and that we, through faith in his son Jesus, become forever his sons and his daughters. We've been studying for the last couple of weeks um, the idea of salvation, really asking and answering the question, what does it mean to be saved? You know, that's something many people would say of themselves. I'm saved. And the Bible gives many different ways of talking and describing that reality. It's like looking at a beautiful jewel from different perspectives and seeing new things each week. We looked last week at the idea of justification. Michael Novak came and preached a great sermon to us about the idea that salvation means that we have been declared righteous. We are just before God the judge through the goodness, through the righteousness of Jesus given to us by faith alone. We've talked about what it means to be born again. We've talked about what it means to be united with Jesus. And tonight, we want to think about the idea of salvation as, as adoption. The idea that the Bible speaks about all the time that when you get saved, when you become a Christian, when you make the choice to follow Jesus and make him your Lord and your master, you enter into, into a new relationship with him, into his family. J.I. Packer, uh, one of the great theologians of the 20th century, in his great book called Knowing God, wrote this. Listen, he says, In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship and establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. And listen to this. He writes, To be right with God the judge is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. That's what we want to think about tonight. To be saved, to experience faith in the gospel and follow Jesus means that we are adopted into God's family. You could sum it all up by saying this. Adoption means that God is your father and you are his beloved son or daughter forever. Two big points separating or uh, explaining that sentence. First, I want to show you that the scriptures teach us that your adoption affects your status 
And secondly, I want you to see that your adoption affects your experience. Your adoption affects your status and your adoption affects your experience. So let's go, okay? First, your adoption affects your status. That's what Paul is really getting at here in both of these passages that I read, one from his letter to Rome, one from his letter to the churches in Galatia. He says in both of these passages that our status is irrevocably altered when we trust Jesus, when we place faith in him. We are, we are legally made his children, his sons and daughters. And in particular, Paul gives us two ways in which our status is affected by our adoption. First, your status is affected by your adoption in that you receive in adoption a new family and a new father. You receive a new family and a new father. If you'll look back in Romans 8, that word that Paul uses there in verse 15 where he says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery, but you have received the spirit of adoption. That word was a technical word in the ancient Greek and Roman world that Paul is making use of here. And the word refers to the ancient Roman practice of adoption, which was very similar actually to our practice of adoption today in modern America. You see, in that day, uh, the pater familias, the head of a household in a city like Rome would would perhaps see one of the children of one of his slaves and he would place his affection on that child. He would say, I, I really like this child. I would like to give this child all the rights and all the privileges with, that come with being a citizen of Rome. And so he would file the legal paperwork and go before the Senate and he would adopt that slave child into his own family so that legally that child now is as much a son of this Roman man as his own biological children are. That is the word that Paul is using here. It's a word that means all the debts that that person owed or wiped away, his former life is no more. He enters into a new legally binding relationship into a new family with a new father. Paul's saying that when you become a Christian, when you believe the gospel, when you trust your life and your death with Jesus, you enter into a legally binding, irrevocable family arrangement so that God is now your father. And Jesus is no longer ashamed to call you his brother or his sister. You have a new family and you have a new father. In the Old Testament, uh, the prophet Ezekiel illustrates this truth in a very, really quite in many ways a disturbing chapter. Ezekiel chapter 16, but also a very poignant chapter. And Ezekiel is prophesying here and using an image to tell the Old Testament people of God and to tell us, the New Testament people of God, about our status, about our well-being before God adopted us, and about what happens after God adopts us. And I just want to read a couple of verses from Ezekiel 16. Listen to this. Beginning in verse 3, here's what God tells Ezekiel. He says, Say, Thus says the Lord God, your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite. Your mother was a Hittite. In other words, you were a foreigner. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut. Nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No eye pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you. 
But you were cast out on the open field. You were abhorred on the day that you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you, in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed, your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. And when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age of love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord. And you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments. I put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was of fine silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty, and your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed upon you, declares the Lord your God. That's what happens to you when you trust Jesus. You are taken out of certain death, abandoned on the side of the road and brought into the house of the king forever. When you are adopted, your status is affected. You have a new family and a new father. Secondly, your status is affected in that you also have a new inheritance. That's what Paul gets at back in Romans chapter 8 and in Galatians chapter 4. He says, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. In other words, when you're a part of God's family, you inherit everything that your father owns. How much does God, your father own? Everything. That's why Paul can say in another letter, 1 Corinthians 2, that all things are yours, whether life or death, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Your status is so irrevocably affected through your faith in Jesus when you get saved that God makes you a part of his family and then gives you freely everything that is his Notice there, again and again, Paul makes it clear that this is something that we receive. You don't earn this inheritance. You didn't buy your way into this new family. It is given to you, Paul tells us, as a gift. That's what it means to be saved. It's what it means to be adopted. You are a part of a new family. You have a new father and you have a glorious eternal inheritance that Peter tells us will will never spoil. It will never fade. It will never perish. Man, that that means a lot of things. Let me just get, get personal with you for just a minute. Here's one thing that it means. It means that those of you who have a difficult time in your life trusting that God is a good father because you could never trust your father, it means that for those of you who those of you whose own family of origin has scarred you rather than healed you, it means that for people who struggle with their relationships with their dad, which most of us do, frankly, most of us have daddy issues, 
it means that you now have a perfect father who is always for you and cares for you and loves you. Listen, maybe you were physically or sexually abused by your father and it's shamed you and impacted you and broken you so deeply that you'll never really understand the depths of it. When you believe in Jesus, you are adopted and you now have a family and a father who will cherish you and perfectly care for you and love you. Maybe you grew up in a house where your dad was at best um, one who viewed you as kind of a nuisance, who was not a part of the plan in his otherwise fairly good life. And you could never satisfy him or make him happy no matter how hard you tried. And that's affected you so deeply to this day. Listen, the gospel tells you that you are adopted now by a father that is delighted to have you in his family. Maybe you didn't know your father. Maybe he left when you were a little kid. Maybe you've never met him in your life. The gospel tells you that you now have a father who longs to know you intimately and whose door is always open for you to come with him with all of your cares and needs and concerns. Maybe you grew up with a dad who was, you know, really pretty decent, but just emotionally unavailable and unattached. You couldn't go to him with things you were struggling with. You couldn't take your pain, your worries, or your questions to him because he would react with, at the very best, a confused look and at the very worst, a stern rebuke. The gospel tells you that you now have a father through faith in Jesus who sympathizes with your every single need because he in Jesus has entered into your life and your story. You now have a father who tells you to cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. You now have a father who can really meet all of your physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. The gospel is so beautiful that it tells you that all of your daddy issues, although painful to the day you die in this life, will one day be erased. Just like the tear that Jesus will wipe from your eye in his eternal kingdom. Your adoption affects your status. You are a son. You are a daughter of the perfect dad. But there's more. Your adoption also affects your experience. And I think that might be even more fundamental to Paul's point in these two amazing passages. Let me, let me try and transition here with an illustration. I've told some of, I think I've told some of you this before, but there's a Puritan. I can't remember which Puritan. All the Puritans are worth reading. I think this is Thomas Brooks who uses this illustration. And he writes about, um, imagine that you are, you know, on your way to HEB, walking from the parking lot into HEB. And there's people all over the place and you're hoping a construction beam doesn't fall on your head. It's the one in shirts. And um, as you're walking in, in front of you, there's a, a dad and a little boy walking directly in front of you. And you're behind them on the way through the parking lot. But you think to yourself, well, that, those two look alike. You know, that's clearly the dad and that's clearly the little boy. That's cool. You know, you see their, to use our language, their status, their relationship. That's the dad, that's the son. But then all of a sudden, the dad turns and looks at the boy and he picks him up and he hugs him and he kisses him on the cheek and he says, son, I love you. I'm so glad that I get to be your dad. And then he sets his boy back down and they keep on walking into H-E-B. In that moment, the son experienced what it was like to have him as a father. 
And Paul's saying here that your adoption means that you don't just sort of intellectually know that you're now in God's family, but through the Holy Spirit's ministry in your life, you actually experience the reality of your sonship of your adoption. That's why Paul again and again uses or references the Holy Spirit here in these verses. He says that it is the spirit of adoption, capital S, that helps us know that we are sons. The Holy Spirit is used again and again, verse by verse, in both of these passages that I read. The Holy Spirit is the one that comes and helps us to to not just know or believe, but to actually experience experience what it's like to be a part of God's family. That's, that's what it means to be adopted. And there's, there's two things really, well, there's a lot, but two things I want to point out from these passages that we experience in our adoption. The first is that the Holy Spirit enables you to experience assurance. Look back at Romans 8. He says in verse 16 that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, God's Spirit comes along and helps you to, in the day-to-day, realize and sort of get and take in the reality of the status you have that we just talked about. You know, here's how that goes. If you're thinking about becoming a Christian, or if you're a new Christian, You need to know that this is on the way when you place faith in Jesus. You become a Christian, you're excited, things start going well, and then you you do something really stupid. You sin and mess up. You backslide, you fall into some old pattern of living, and you feel terrible about it. Or maybe it's not some big thing, but it's just a couple of little issues that are part of your old life that you just can't seem to stop or overcome, that continue to just, just plague you. You can't seem to get past these issues. And as that happens, a little voice appears in your your head. And that voice says things like this. You sure are a terrible Christian. I can't believe that you're still struggling with that. People that really love God don't have these problems anymore. You're going to go to hell. You're condemned. God could never love someone who struggles with something so simple and so basic. And the voice begins to get louder and louder and louder until it dominates your existence. That is the voice of the evil one coming to steal, to thieve the assurance that you have in the gospel. And what God, Paul is saying here is that God sends the Holy Spirit to assure you, to remind you that through faith, that voice is telling you a lie. You really are a child of God. He really does love you. You are, you are beloved of him. He delights in you. That's one way that the Spirit helps you feel assurance. He helps you experience your sonship. Some of you lack assurance in your Christian life, maybe in not such an overt way, you know, where you have a voice inside your head telling you that if you don't come over, get over this sin like tomorrow, you're going to hell forever. That certainly takes our assurance. But there's other more subtle ways and more insidious ways that our assurance is stolen. You probably lack assurance, for example, if you always have to be right. You probably lack assurance if when someone lovingly comes to you and tells you a place where you failed or hurt them or where you need to grow, you immediately get defensive. I mean, boom, the walls go up like that. You're a defensive martial arts expert. The reason that you're like that, 
The reason that you can't ever be wrong, you always have to be right. The reason that you can't receive criticism without it bothering you for days, the reason that you're so defensive is because fundamentally you're trying to make yourself okay. You're trying to justify yourself before God and before others. And that puts you on this performance treadmill where you've always got to measure up. You've always got to live up to the billing that you set for yourself. And when someone tells you reality that you can't do it, you get really, really angry. And it takes away your assurance. It makes, you, it makes you not a Christ follower, really, but a, a religious slave that's always, always, always trying to keep up. And you have no assurance that God's really going to be for you, that God really loves you. You have no experience of God's fatherhood in your life because you just can't admit. You can't admit that you don't have it all together. You can't admit that you fail really, really frequently. You can't receive loving criticism. You know, you need to believe the gospel again. And the Holy Spirit helps you to believe that. He helps you to believe, listen, that God does not wait for you to get your act together before he brings you into his family. God brings you into his family when you are a complete mess. And then you begin by his grace to over time put your act together. God does not condemn you when you fall. God has condemned Jesus instead of you. You are fully accepted by him in Christ. And so it's okay to admit that you don't have it together, that you make mistakes. It's okay to be wrong and not to be defensive because God's love is not contingent upon how well you justify yourself to others or to yourself. If that's what you're experiencing regularly, it's a sign that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit needs to continue to work in your heart. The assurance that you are loved by God as Father. There's another thing the Spirit does, though. He, he helps us experience our sonship, not just by giving you assurance, but also by giving you intimacy with God. That's why in both of these passages, we read that the Holy Spirit helps us to cry, Abba, Father. Now, an ancient Jewish person did not refer to Yahweh, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as Father. That was That was completely uncalled for. It was something they didn't do. And so when Jesus, by the way, in the Lord's Prayer said, we should pray our Father, they were like, what? But here Paul doesn't just say Father. He says, Abba, Father. A term of deep intimacy. What's happening here is that you are being told by God, I am being told by God, that you experience through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, sonship, when you experience a vital intimacy with God your Father. Do you feel a vital intimacy with God the Father? If you're like me, the answer oftentimes is probably no. How do you know? How do you know if you're lacking in the kind of intimacy that we are called to here in the gospel? Well, the main way you know is if you don't have a vital daily prayer walk with God. If prayer is just horribly laborious for you, then you're not experiencing the intimacy that the gospel offers. You know you're not experiencing intimacy if if functionally God is just a God of the gaps for you. And I mean by that, you take care of most things, but the things you don't have time to get together in your life, that's the stuff God takes care of. You know you're not experiencing intimacy when you're looking for satisfaction and contentment in money or in work or in possessions or in relationships and not in God. All of those things are signs that your heart has not yet seen or believed the fullness of what God offers you in the gospel. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in and helps you 
He helps you to actually believe these things. <laughs> he, actually, he helps you to actually know that, that you already are in God's family. That he already has made himself Abba to you. That he's never going to turn his back on you because he turned his back on Jesus. He's never going to curse you because he cursed Jesus. He's never going to bar access into his presence for you because he barred access for Jesus to come into his presence so that you forever could. And really, it's believing that that enables us over time to experience the intimacy that we have already with God the Father through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, you're not going to wake up tomorrow and think, man, my prayer walk is amazing all of a sudden. Thanks for that sermon, Pastor Luke. That'd be awesome, by the way, if that happened, but it's not going to happen. Not to burst your bubble, but uh, it happens over time as the Spirit works in your life through the Bible, through the sacrament, through community. That's what he wants for you. He wants you to know what is already true, that you have in heaven a perfect dad, an Abba Father who is waiting for you to approach him with your deepest fears, with your most horrible feelings, with your closest worries, so that he can love you. Do you want to experience that kind of closeness with God? He's already done everything that's necessary for it to be possible. He calls you in the gospel to believe. To believe that he is that for you now. And as you believe it, he begins to transform your heart and your life so that you will more and more experience it. I want to close with a story that um, I read when I was going through a study called Sonship a number of years ago. Uh, It's by a woman who was studying the idea of adoption, the idea of the fatherhood of God and the grace that comes to us in the gospel. And she reflected on her own life experience and uh, it struck me as powerful. So I'm gonna close by reading you a couple of paragraphs from her story. Listen, she says, one day when I was very young, I saw my older sister hanging up my father's white business shirts on the clothesline to dry. I was suddenly filled with the urge to hang up one of my daddy's white shirts. He was my daddy too, and I was his daughter. I loved him in my childlike way and wanted to express it. I couldn't reach the clothesline though. It was too high. But I saw a wheelbarrow in the yard, and its handles were just the right height for me. I didn't notice how rusty it was, and I rather joyfully clothespinned the wet shirt to the handles. And when my dad got home and saw the shirt on the wheelbarrow, he became very angry with me and punished me. Sorry, I knew this was going to happen in this story. And punished me severely for ruining his shirt. I had not realized the impact that event and others like it had made on me. As I remembered these scenes from the past, I saw that through the years, I had not been believing that my father in heaven was any different. Was any different than my earthly father. I had not been listening when he described himself. In short, I hadn't been believing the gospel that by faith in Christ and his perfect atoning sacrifice, he now loves me. And is forever for me. And delighted in me. In Christ, he has made me beautiful. And pleasing to him. So the next morning, I told our counselor that I thought I was beginning to understand 
I told him the memory and said that I guess if the father saw me standing next to the wheelbarrow with the ruined shirt on it, he would forget the shirt and hug me. And my counselor said, you still don't understand fully. God would not overlook the shirt. He would take it and put it on and wear it to work. And when someone commented on the rust marks, he would say, let me tell you about my little girl and how much I love her. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us um, as a good father. And uh, even when I break down at the thought of that, God, uh, thank you that you are always for us in Jesus. And that no matter what we've experienced in life, uh, the bereavement of our, our past, the loneliness, the lack of access with our own parents, the sadness and horrors of living in a fallen world, God, we know that in the gospel, we are now really a part of something new, family, with you as the father. And that we don't just have that status, but we also have real access to experience the beauty of being a part of your family, God. And so help us to come to you and cry out, Abba, Father, when we have needs. Help us to come to you and cry out, Abba, Father, through the work of the Holy Spirit, when we feel sad or angry or hurt. Help us to believe, God, that these things are true and that they make all the difference, that adoption changes everything, that you have saved us not because of good that we have done, but because of your good pleasure and grace and that you will always be for us as a good dad. Thank you for the gospel. Help us to believe it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.